0: Folks, we're in Sydney on a beautiful winter's day. It's blue sky. I'm in Clontarf at the beautiful home of a guy I've known for over a decade. He's an ad guy. He's a philosopher. He's got very interesting thoughts about life. He's lived a very big, long and large life. I'm welcoming to the podcast, Bruce Matchett.
1: Hi, Sean. We've been talking about (laughs) doing
0: this for a while and we finally are here. How are you enjoying being back in Australia?
1: Oh, it's... um I don't like settling too much. I mean, my whole life I've been on the run. It's good to come back. My daughters yeah. are here. And I've got great friends. So it's good.
0: One of the things you said to me just before we, we started was that you're, you're writing a book about your early life. And I mean, that one of the things about the podcast is I like to sort of chart where people have come mm. from. You're, those perceptive... Listeners amongst me may have detected that you're from Scotland. <laughs> oh, yeah. <there laughs> so is we have a Scottish <laughs> man and an Irishman sitting by a fire here. You might hear crackling <laughs> in the
1: background. It sounds like a joke already. Yeah, but, um, yeah where
0: were you born? What was your up,
1: up I was born. Well, it's easy to, to pinpoint where I'm born now because Susan Boyle, uh, ah, the singer. No, she, no relation. <laughs> no. She's she, far too good looking for our <laughs> She's far too good looking. She looks a bit like <laughs> you, actually. Thank you. She'd love to hear she lives next door to my sister, and <laughs> really? I, I went to school with Susan's brother. So it's a ah. it's a very very small kind of if I say village it sounds romantic. It's village is only by size. It's a bit of a dump called Blackburn in West Lothian.
0: So West Lothian is in
1: Scotland, in between Glasgow yeah. and Edinburgh. If you drew a straight right. line between Glasgow and Edinburgh, put a little cross in the middle. It's, it's okay. a cross being the right word in the middle uh,
0: I remember seeing Susan Boyer's house it was very unassuming sort yes. of council so terrorist kind of thing wasn't
1: it yeah and that's exactly what Blackburn is unassuming yeah. a lot of characters and more pubs than shops yeah Mine. so uh, yeah my dad was a coal miner his entire life and his dad came from Ireland Cork Irish Catholics at that time that's it's one of the reasons for writing the book is that obviously I knew my dad and, and, and we got on exceptionally well but I knew him as a dad The guy who went to work. Oh, it's great.
0: Where were you in the family pecking order? I was
1: number three. uh, The third child and the last child. Why I'm doing the book is that you don't really know your dad until you talk to his friends. And after he died, I met a lot of his friends in a a bar in a place called Stonyburn, which is near Blackburn. And they were telling me all big Jackie stories and all the things. And I'm thinking, my God, I didn't know about my dad as a human being. He was a dad. Hmm. He brought money in. He was strict when he had to be. You know, he did all the things, yourself, yeah. whatever, all those things, but I yeah. never knew him as a bloke. Yeah. So I wanted to write this book about growing up and what I was like as a person. And it's all about me, mm-hmm. not about my children or anything, it's just me. And there's loads of great stories. Uh, trolling your own memories. Trolling my own memories, which is great. It's almost rehabilitating as well, because mm-hmm. you know I'm an alcoholic. and. Yeah. Um, I've been um, sober I've been about, like 30, talk years, about 30 years. Yeah. And you, you, once you, you've been sober 30 years, you start to look back and think, why the hell did I get into that mess? And you start peeling back the layers and you get there eventually. But it started way back when I was a kid, you know? So by writing this story, it's all coming up to the surface again. Mm. And it's, it's highly emotional.
0: It's a part of mm. what this podcast does, actually. I mean, one hmm. of the things we're about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get is capture people, first of all, who you never hear from. Yeah. we have got a lot of wisdom from a life lived. Yeah. But I also hear an awful lot, it's very interesting to say, that a lot of people who I've done podcasts with, especially older people, their families yeah. go, I never knew that about my dad yeah, or my wife. Yeah. You know, and they find that thing. Because I suppose the, the, the not the facade, but the masks we wear as father, worker, whatever, we don't, mm. our people don't tend to see that other side to us.
1: No, you don't. And uh, although my daughters are pretty close, I have three daughters and a son. Two different marriages, but my daughters—I've—I've I've shared some of the story with them, and they said, "Oh my God, I can't wait till it's finished." Right. And it was—it was entirely just going to be for them. But I have shared it with a, a few people who don't know me, yeah. and they said, "Oh my God, you've got to publish this." That's so so maybe things. one day, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's maybe one day. I'm not—it's not finished by mm-hmm. any means. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I've learned through AA is that you can't lie to the man in the mirror, and you certainly can't lie to another alky. So it's a very honest book. And, and very rich and deep. So you're, uh, you're calling it I. I. It's called I, A-Y-E. So let my dad back and a little say. bit of
0: your childhood for me
1: under that. <laughs> under under I. Well, my brother was killed when, when I was seven in a motorbike accident. He was a bit of a genius. And, and I didn't know that. But he was in the national papers because um, we were a very working class family. My mother was a, a bus conductorist. My dad was a coal miner. And then this genius pops up who is, sorry, six foot four and good looking. And he got into uh, university. He hadn't started it. My dad got him a motorbike as a surprise gift. And he killed himself on it. So my oh, mother... He killed
0: himself on it? It was an accident?
1: It was it an accident. Was right, okay. Yeah, he hit a truck. And as a kid, I never really knew what was going on. I just knew he was not coming home. Mm. There was no psychologist. There was no help. There was nothing. And my mother, who was um, an agoraphobic anyway, she, mm-hmm. she didn't like going outside the house much. She cocooned completely. And as you can imagine, it sort of destroys the yeah. household and destroys your your joy as a kid at seven. Yeah. You know, I used to yeah. sing a lot and play, and then it just all... Everything was like, oh, my God. There's a silence, that, that like a blanket over you. Yeah. And so the story is all about um, survival, really. Yeah, it's a funny story, believe it or not. Yeah. Like, for example, my mum worked in a supermarket kiosk, which is a very small, maybe um, eight metres by three and a half metres, this kiosk which where, where all the buses would stop, is yeah. attached to the supermarket.
0: For newspapers, cigarettes,
1: that sort of thing. All, yeah. all, yeah. all yeah. the usual, maybe even half bottles of whiskey Sweets. and all that okay. stuff, you know. So, so, but she was terrified that I would go, she wouldn't let me go to school, so she would hide me in this um, kiosk, in amongst the cardboard boxes. She
0: was scared you'd die.
1: She, she was frightened of losing her son. So I'd be sitting in amongst the cardboard boxes. If anyone came to the door, I had to really hide, mm. you know, for deliveries and things. But all I would hear would be the conversations mm. from the drunks or the early morning brigade, or mm. you know, uncensored, of course. And I'd just trace on the boxes and draw on the boxes and, you know. Get I mean, the, were you getting
0: you with the schools? Have been pulling the <laughs> I don't know really what down. happened. All I've yeah. got
1: memories is being amongst tablet I mean, boxes. School, the <laughs> I yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's another story. Yeah. But, um, so the book's full of things like that.
0: Were you football mad? Like,
1: I sorry. was football mad. Um, I played football every day. Because there's nothing else to do. I mean, those in those years, there's no Facebook. There's no, as you know, there's no television mm. even. We didn't have television. Yeah. No phones, nothing. You play football. And you play it on the street because there was no cars. <laughs> this is 50s. This much. is 53. And yeah.
0: what was your team?
1: Well, I was a Catholic. Right. My brother was a Catholic. Most of my friends were sporting Celtic. And I was sporting Hibernian, Hibes, yeah. Funny enough, yeah. in the Edinburgh side. Never went to many matches, but I played football regularly. I wasn't too bad. Yeah. All my friends played football.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it was the, it still is, weirdly, a huge defining part of Scotland.
1: It's, that it's, divide it's, it's a huge, I mean, huge, huge... Even hugely. worse than
0: Ireland, almost.
1: It, it was. The, well, what I believe and what I'm told is that that's where most of the money collecting was done between Glasgow and Edinburgh mm-hmm. to support either groups. Combine that with the fact that my uh, my father, we had a mixed marriage because my father was Catholic and they were part of the Sacred Heart, which yeah. the, means they were christened by a cardinal, or so yeah. baptized by a cardinal. My mother's father was head of the Orange Lodge. <laughs> so it's, it was pretty peculiar. And then, yeah. So your mother was a person. <laughs> My mother was a, well, orange Staunch. as well. Staunch. Staunch. But she didn't Louis really Frieden, care. Frieden. Our father was. So we used to, um, they still, he, he sent us to chapel. So I went to chapel like everybody else. Mm. But you had no choice. You went to Catholic yeah. school. You had to go to chapel. Yeah. If you violence. didn't, you got belted.
0: Yeah. Violence, gangs.
1: Lots of, lots of violence in Blackburn. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Poverty. Poverty, violence, and a lot of my friends are dead. Um, at Drugs, age seventeen. Drinking. Drugs and all sorts of stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. And
0: it's what was school like when you got there? <laughs> you strict, got there. strict. Yeah. Very strict. Very
1: strict. Praying at before lunch, after lunch, after playtime, before playtime. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of it was in Latin, which is hilarious, yeah. because I didn't know what they were saying. You just you just learnt it. like a yeah. times table, yeah. it didn't yeah. mean yeah. anything. And you just stand in there and make sure of, you, you said it it's kind of the same in English. Isn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it was hilarious. It's funny, I mean, because you,
0: you grew up to have this kind of philosophy. Mm. When I met you, you've got this very philosophical outlook, and you're always looking for meaning. You like nothing more than a sit-down and a chat about stuff with someone mm. who you can spar with. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you're coming from this kind of environment where they're trying to corral you into being an automaton. Yeah, be it religious, be it football, be it Hmm. mining. I mean, was the path for you down the mines? Was it being set for you?
1: No, no, not at all. Um, I could draw. I still can draw. I spent most of my school time drawing on books, just on any piece of paper I could get. And when the butcher, we had vans who turned up in the area. There'd be the fish van, the butcher's van, the potato van, the whatever van. I'd go out to the butcher's van and get tracing paper from them. We didn't have notepads like and pens yeah. and paints. We didn't yeah. have money for that. And I would use all this tracing paper and draw on it like forever. In pencil, It's completely sort of drawing me a pen or a Bible. Right. So drawing, drawing, drawing. It was escapism. It was almost, I now know it's a, almost a meditative state as well, mm. where you can escape and live in your head just yeah. by drawing. And I did two oil paints. The one I'll show you later, it's yeah. on the wall there. I did them at 15 and 16. And they're, they're very good for that age. Yeah. I know they are. Yeah. And the teachers all knew that. My dad took them down, he drove me down, he borrowed the car and drove me down to Carlisle Art School mm-hmm. and took these two paintings with me and I got dragged in it, I, was, I wasn't quite 17 and he said, I said um, well what has he got, has he any certificates of that? And I said, he says no, but he can paint and he says yeah he surely can, we'll take him in but he'll have to do a foundation course yeah. and learn other things and then do three year art school. Yeah. So it was all those paintings, but we had no money so um, you, so you didn't even finish secondary school i was i uh, finished but i didn't get any yeah, a levels trying stuff yeah yeah, yeah yeah so anyway at 17 i had gained this place in art school in the meantime there's a place in blackburn called the blackburn center and it had an enormous wall and one of these guys had seen one of my little oil paints and he said would you like to paint on this wall he we'll get you some oil paints would you do this and wow. so i spent months painting pop stars and Politicians' portraits, all in this wall, right? It's fifty years old now, and it's the art. The Scottish Art Council have dug it up, taken the plaster off the wall, and found it in oh, They want to keep no, it. Did. It's a fantastic yeah, yeah, story yeah. for me. I thought, oh, my God, I forgot all about that. And, and so all the locals all know. No, no, they've copied it. They've digitally copied every right. piece of it. They uh, oh, they want to preserve cool it for you though, like. I said that. Were your mates, what were your mates saying about
0: this? Oh, they loved it. Yeah.
1: Because they'd, they'd even invite they me They're to draw and At like. that time, when you're, when you're young, it was easy because girls liked it too. You're, yeah, you're up yeah. a ladder painting yeah. and that, and you come down and chat to them. Scottish. <laughs> <Bailangelo>. <laughs>
0: it, was, it was
1: hilarious. <laughs> so that was before I went to art school.
0: I mean, one question before we move on to mm. off this is your dad, mm. like you're from a very working class, mm. 50s, hard football, mm. mining, mm. you know, the effete nature of I want to be an artist. You know, ha- having that uh, encouragement from your dad and mum must have been rare. In, in,
1: in well, there was today. no encouragement as such because they didn't know how to uh, manoeuvre those in, within those circles or anything like that. But, see, everybody thinks that coal miners are, um, dare I say, lower stupid class stupid yeah, or stupid. Yeah, no, 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 it wasn't my special. dad was forced into the mines because yeah, they had no money. That's what I meant. And he was really bright. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean.
0: Why, how, how he broke the chain. yeah. You know, allowing you to go. And also, you could break the chain and become an electrician or mm. build a house mm. or whatever. But going into <laughs> paint in art school down <laughs> south in Carlisle, you know what I mean? Yes. It's a very interesting... Is there? Can you pinpoint any... I mean, it might be your big brother's death.
1: Yes. Well, my big brother, when I say he was genius, he was brilliant in maths and brilliant in everything else, but he was also a brilliant artist. And okay. so um, these paintings would be in the house that he did. And I was in awe of them. This is part of my alcoholism now going to come up, and this is right. the reason why. Okay. So every time I would produce something, well, I would say, that's good, son, but do you remember Ian? Do you remember how good he really was? Continually, um, mm-hmm. I was never tall enough. I was never good enough. I was never good enough yeah, at maths, yeah. although I was pretty good. Um, I wasn't as good looking. Mm-hmm. I wasn't this, wasn't that. It was always, and it was, she was regurgitating it to say, do you remember how good he was? And she was trying to bring him back into the memory of our lives. Whereas I just saw it as, oh my God, I'll never yeah. win this woman's favour or yeah, fill his yeah, shoes. Yeah. Oh, well, I couldn't fill his, oh, funny enough, he know, fantastic <laughs> oh. <laughs> leather jacket and I went upstairs to get it one day. I remember I was about 15, shoes, that'll never fit you, son. You remember he was six foot four. Oh, You're only dear. wee Bruce, yeah. you know, okay. and I'm going, yeah. I now know uh, how hard it was, but yeah. maybe that's what drove me to success. Having this thing to try and prove to people that I'm actually all right, I'm good at what I do. Without sounding
0: too sort of spectral, do you ever, did you ever feel him through you?
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, when you were seven, and he was 17.
0: By the time you were 17, you didn't feel him kind of guiding you or anything like that? Or, no, no, no uh, later
1: something. on in life, yeah, I have made contact with him, funny okay. enough, okay. Um, yeah, through, I I through, through different um, hypnosis and things, yeah. and I, I forgave my attitude towards him and thanked him for driving me. Lots of you know, things that. I we have happened that. In I'm, yeah. I i did not know enough
0: an about any of this. Yeah, and I'm just trying to take it as you say it. And that, mm. some, there was something there.
1: Mm.
0: And she wasn't doing it, obviously, from a
1: mean. Point no, of no, view. no, no, she no, no. It's tragic. It caring, it's tragic. Yeah, a
0: tragic point of view. Um, were you the only other boy?
1: I was the only other boy. My sister um, got the same treatment. And funny enough, um, when I when I had children, mm. and I was living in New Zealand, I went back to see her. I mean, I went back regularly. And this one point, I thought, no, I was sober. So I had uncovered an awful lot of, of stuff in, of mm. my sobriety. I was maybe three years sober. I went back. And I sat her down. And I told her what she'd done. Mm. And I forgave her. Mm. And she cried. Your and I, yeah, and, and she said, I didn't know. Yeah. And I says, no, of course you didn't know. And I, I, but I do understand now. I've got children. Yeah. And I understand the yeah. grief you must have yeah, gone yeah. through. Yeah, these people who go, oh, I don't have a favourite child. Oh, yeah, yes. right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure look, she was a loving woman and my father was uh, a great man in my, in my eyes. They just had no skill when it came to it. People didn't, they didn't even tell me the truth about how he died or anything. Yeah. It was almost like, oh, he's not coming back tonight, son. Go and live at your aunties. Yeah. And it was, other kids were telling me. He's gone to know. live in a farm. <laughs> yes, wherever, <laughs> you know. When did you have
0: your first drink? How did the, how did the relationship with booze start?
1: Um, like most children in, in our village, you'd be 15, 14, sneaking things and yeah. smuggling things out of the house. Although yeah. There wasn't an awful lot of booze in the house, but there was always a way. Parties, there was nothing else to do. It's, it was miserable. Remember, there's um, somebody's parents would go away. So you go out their house and yeah, everybody brings bring It's just the same. same I'm sure in it's happening right mine. now, yeah, exactly. you know. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I liked it. You know, yeah. I liked it. It was an escapism. It's part of growing up and and smoking and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. people, it's okay, so lots of people do it and some people get away with it and, mm. and they can handle it.
0: Um, so tell me just a little bit about how it all kind of started with that relationship. With, so you were going to college in Carlisle. Mm. How did mm. that work out?
1: I, I did sculpture to start with and then I did um, graphic design. I loved art, and we had one tutor who came in called Ben Casey, and he would come and lecture us for one evening a week, but he was also working in advertising at the time, and because I could draw, he'd say, would you do these layouts? Because there was no computers and it, was squeaky yeah. markers and things. Yeah. i said, yeah, and he'd give me five pounds, which is a hell of a lot of money. Right. That's enough money to drink all week.
0: Yeah.
1: After a year of me doing this, he says, you shouldn't be doing this sculpture and crap. You know, he says, there's no money in art. You should come into your advertising. That's how it started. So um, I thought, whoa. And and having no money all my life, I thought, that's it. And I went down to Birmingham. I joined a small company there doing graphics and design. Then I went and worked for a newspaper. And the newspaper were doing classified ads. It was the Birmingham Evening Post. And what was good about that was um, I had no idea it was actually helping me. I mean, yeah, it was good money. But you had to think fast. Clients would come in the door and say, I need an ad in tomorrow's paper. So you'd think up the words as well, the headline, and quickly come up with a concept. Yeah. You'd put it into typesetting and it was done. The first ad I did was um, it was for a nuts and bolts company in Walsall. And, uh, and it says, Are nuts and bolts a pain in the neck? And I drew Frankenstein with bolts in yeah. his neck. You know, it was stupid stuff for those years. Those but, wire, <laughs> yeah. but it was great <laughs> because it was fast, it was furious, and it didn't need a lot of craft. Yeah. So and and it was good money. It so what
0: funny. age were you when you were in Birmingham?
1: The like twenty. If that, yeah, twenty.
0: Right. Yeah, and were you very low? Were you very uh, were you very independent?
1: <laughs>
0: or like, had you like had your girlfriends and all that sort of stuff? Or
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and independent yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah, I was drinking an awful lot then, though. Yeah. So when, escapism. Right on mm-hmm. your own. Mm-hmm. Right after work, kind of thing. Um, during work after work sleeping in right. okay so at this stage you were no, at this stage <laughs> yeah. it was getting out well, of the it was problem. building, it was but, building. Where did, where but you did, don't know No, you don't know when right no. right no but, but there there is a moment no there is a moment I was in I went to New Zealand to take to be creative director of Satches I was in Wellington and I had been drinking a lot and I had terrible pains in my stomach and they took me to the hospital and I had acute pancreatitis and I still remember the doctor coming to see me and saying you're in terrible condition. The last six people we've had in here, four of them have died. He says, right. so we're going to get the priest in? And they gave him the last rites. Right. And, and I thought, nah, this is not going to happen. I don't know what it is. Anyway, I ended up the my wheelchair and they took me out and they went back to Satchis, <laughs> And uh, I should have known to give up. But I, I actually like, alcoholics are very clever at disguising things and, and lying as well. Mm that I would say, it was the stress. It was the stress of moving countries, stress of being in a new job, Mm. stress of running a fantastic agency. Mm. It wasn't the drink. Mm. You had a good excuse. Until six months later, I tried to hide it. and ended up in Sydney and I had a big binge. And when I came back from Sydney, I thought, I lied to someone when they said, "Um, you've been drinking. I went, no, no, I'm going to a, a... And I walked into an AA hall just to get some leaflets Mm -hmm. to prove that I was on a journey of of sobriety. And I walked into the hall and the leaflets were actually on the stage Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get near them, so I had to sit there. And this man went, you've been drinking? I said, yeah, it's AA. (laughs) And he went, you don't get it, do you? He says, you're probably just here for the leaflets. And I went, wow. "Mm." (laughs) Anyway, I sat with him a long time. And uh, at and the so end, it wasn't music, it was just one it, was a big oh, it, was it was a meeting. big meeting. No, oh, it right. was a big meeting. And, then, and part of it was in Ponsonby, and it was a Friday. And I would hang on now, <laughs> you actually
0: went into that meeting. Because you could have gone, <laughs> I can't get the brochures, I'll come back another time. Could have been <laughs> yeah. something was working. I was down. being guided yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Anyway, I, I sat there and um, finally got my leaflets. And uh, he says, Do you want to lift home? And I went, Yeah, that would be nice. And I told him the wrong address because I'm thinking, I don't want anybody to know it was me. I was an like, Okay, yeah. you know. And he dropped me off. Uh, anyway, next morning I had a terrible head. And the phone went, nah, who's this? Pick it up. And he says, it's uh, Dave. Oh. He says, you met me at AA last night. i like, oh, okay. He said, do you want to go to a meeting? And I went, like, yep. Yeah. So off I went to a meeting. And they took me there. And I never drunk again. It's 30 oh, years amazing. almost. And I kept going. And I became, like any alcoholic, I became addicted to being an AA. For a long time. I used to go to prisons and give talks. I used to go to hospitals and still hold down a big job. You know, so it was completely dedicated. Until one guy, a couple of years into it, he went, what are you doing? He says, you've missed a point. He says, you've got to live life. It's safe here. Back off a little bit. You don't have to go overnight. You've proven. Just slowly ease yourself back into sociability and meeting people and going out. But
0: there is a desire to share and...
1: Hmm. help others oh it's the greatest trouble. thing mate I, I tell you it's the best thing that's ever happened to me um, what sort of a drunk were you? Um, well the beauty of it being a drunk is you can be anybody you want to be yeah. which suits the moment so you can either be the comedian when you're up or you can be the solitary guy sitting in the corner it's yeah. it's, uh, it's a wonderful introduction to advertising <laughs> because uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you know you're a good storyteller you become you, and you like so much, to much of advertising get, revolves around booze oh man and, and mm. the other good thing is you can actually read people because when you're in a bar, you've got to avoid fights, you've got to avoid tension, you've got to try and win people over. Mm. It's the exact same thing in, 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 when you're presenting work to clients. Mm, you right. know, so you, so you become good at reading people. Yeah.
0: So, with, when you were just keeping the chronology, you were in Birmingham, mm-hmm. then did you move to London or did you get out to New Zealand? Was there um, a jump in between? And after
1: there? Birmingham, I went to Solihull in the West Midlands and I went to a great agency called Cogents at that time, run by a guy called Mike Fox, who's no longer with us. Great creative writer. He taught me lots, mm. and we had an office in London, so I went to London twice, back and forth, back and right. forth, back. Still drinking an awful lot during this yeah. period, yeah. and then there's a big moment um, where, and it's called they call it the geography, where most alcoholics want to change everybody around them because people are getting they know too much about them. They know you're a drunk, you know. They're pissing people off. And with, so you, yeah. you call it the geography, you run off somewhere. Okay. So that's why I ended up in New Zealand. I mean, yeah. all as far as you could possibly yeah. go and went to Satchez, Were you married then? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you told a story to me once about your painting downstairs
1: and uh, you had the jam jars with... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, yeah I had this, no, I had this house in, in, in yeah. Worcestershire and uh, I had one room to myself with a few pinball machines and paints and mm. drawing boards for doing layouts and things and... Uh, I had all these paint brushes and and pots, as you go.
0: Jam jars. Jam
1: jars. And and I remember I had some friends around, I'm chatting away like mad. (laughs) And suddenly, um, you know, I'm so excited and we're telling stories and we're getting excited. And I take the paint brushes out of the pot. The hair was pushing up, It's just a wood in there and there's clear liquid in there. And I start drinking it. And they go, what are you doing? And I went, oh, I knew what I was doing because that's where I hid my vodka. But I'd forgot that these people are not really yeah. part of the tribe. I you know, know they, they, were, were, so they were shocked. And I was like, oh, my God, this is uh, re- friends, its reaching a new level. <laughs> did
0: friends support you or distance themselves from
1: you? Ah, interesting. Uh, when I went back to New Zealand and got slower. I had to make a trip to London. Mm. I had won some awards. I took my daughter with me for safety so that I, she was only eight or nine at the time. And I didn't want to go out. And anyway, um, I rang a few people, friends, photographer friends who had been drinking for years, famous guys. And they'd say, Oh, um, I heard you're um, alcoholic, but if you've given it up for three years, you can't possibly be. So let's go out and we'll have dinner tonight, we'll have a drink, we'll lose. Mm-hmm. I said, No, I'm okay. I never, they never rang me again. And they were supposed to be friends. But the, yeah. but the thing about those sort of friendships is the common denominator was drink. Booze, yeah. Drink, mm-hmm. right? So I had another friend where the common denominator was friendship. Mm-hmm. And I rung Stuart, uh, who was my best man at the time. Stuart said, what do you want to do? I said, let's go and feed some ducks. Yeah. And he didn't care. He just wanted to see me. Yeah. And that, then I thought, wow, that's it. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is. Yeah. You want to be with that person rather than just... Because drunks stick together. And So it's a bit like if you want to play tennis, you ring a tennis player. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go to the movies, you, you go with somebody who likes going to the movies. Yeah. So if you want to drink you ring a drink
0: well i've had a couple yeah. of mm. alcoholics friends of mine mm. who very bravely as well and thank you for mm. sharing the honesty that you've shown on this because one is craig smith who you know oh yeah and craig well. you mm. know we were we were good pals but i was a drinking buddy of his mm. whenever we were together we yeah. were i remember one time just towards mm. the end before he went playing was i went to see him in new york and he was drinking two bottles for every one of mine yeah in the afternoon on a mm. sunday and i'm going okay this is out of control because I am not known to be, mm. uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know, I can fairly handle. And so um, one of the things that happened with us two was. I said, to him, I don't I, I should not be around you because I'm a guy who you associate only with when you're drunk. And so we, we kind of agreed that he loves me and we all mm. we, we text him whatever. He's now fine. I mean, he's married now and yeah, he's got yeah, a yeah. great little kid. Do you ever think you could topple off
1: again? Oh, yeah, I'm ever wary. You see, the, the thing is, people reach for drink when they're happy, mm-hmm. when they're sad, when they feel sorry for themselves. When they're bored. And, they're, they're bored. <laughs> yeah. and all these things are part of my life. Yeah. Uh, so I can remember one in particular case where I had one best of show at the Cleo's, and I was so excited, and everybody around me was celebrating. And I, wa- I had my bow tie on, and I walked down. And I found an AA meeting and sat with some down and outs wow. for an hour. And then went back. Yeah. I just needed that, that cushion, you know, to feel feel yeah. that security. Um, I went back again and I thought, well, yeah, you're not safe, It's just, just yeah, cool. So, so you tend to get a little bit depressed with success because you can't fully right. celebrate it. You can't let go. Yeah. Um, Although I, I,
0: I, must say, I've even in the last mm, like, ten years, maybe it's because I'm mm. getting old myself. But in the last ten years, I find a huge number of. Of my friends, especially in Ireland. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got the we've got the bevy gene. One of the things mm-hmm. that I did was uh, from very early age, having seen the carnage it can wreck on people's lives. I mm-hmm. chose to stop drinking for a month every year, and then by about twenty five, it became two months every year. Mm-hmm. So and I still do that, mm-hmm. and it's easy. I can mm-hmm. do it, but I do it to keep showing myself that I can you know, because I don't want to get to it And I have had a whole part, and actually, I wouldn't like to have to fully give it up because I like wine with food and all that sort of stuff. Look at this. I, I, but it's I see it's got, not got nothing to do
1: with alcohol, mate. It's about, yeah. I'm an addictive guy. Yeah. I mean, I took up Muay Thai fighting when I was 57. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And I threw myself into it and trying to win. You know what I mean? Thailand training and things. I think, what are you doing? And, you know, or if I take up running, I've got to manage everything. Chocolate, I've got to manage. I've got to manage everything. Now, the positive side to that is if you can find something good and give it 1 Mm -hmm. million percent, it works. Sometimes I've been successful at work because I thought, I'm Mm going to see this through. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get right into this and plough all my way through. Or, like in the moment I'm on a um, sugar-free diet, because right, I eat far too much chocolate. But once you, once you, so they're like any algae or an, an addict, once you put them on the railway lines, it's hard getting on the railway lines. Yeah. I like, I've, being on the I've had to argue with lines. Stephanie to yeah. say, she's saying, you got to do this diet, you got to do this. I'm on it. You can't get me off it now. <laughs> right. now be, Please have some sugar. <laughs> no.
0: But yeah, I've seen a lot of my friends in Ireland who have just gone, okay, you know what? They talk mm. about the facades and the masks and the jigger-jaggers yeah, the next yeah. morning and how they feel and how they beat themselves up yeah. and how they feel mm. worthless. And a lot of them have got off it. And t- Tell me about AA. Do you think, I mean, it's clearly saved your life. Mm. Uh, I mean, one of the other stories you told me was this thing where you, maybe I, I, I mm. may have misremembered mm. a bit, but you, you used to be in one pub and you'd nip into the other pub for a quick shot. Mm.
1: Stuff like or or if, if you didn't drink fast enough yeah, uh, Sean which I'm sure you don't compared to me I would say I'll meet you at 6 o'clock at a so and so pub well I would go somewhere else right. first and have a few and yeah. you're right I, and I would always go it's my round walk up yeah. to the bar you'd be talking to people and I would have a few at the bar yeah. and then come back with a tree yeah. you know yeah, okay. it's it's nuts it's completely nuts
0: tell me how the AA gets, in, gets a bit of a, a Criticism for, I mean, Doug Stanhope, one of my favorite mm. comics, does a bit about the fact that really all it is is God. You know, I mean, he's joking, he's being very yeah, yeah, deliberately yeah. provocative, and uh, you know, mm. but that this idea that, that uh, you know, the 12 steps, it's been around forever, it has mm. clearly saved hundreds of people's lives, and yet there's no, you can't go into a doctor and you give your injection, stop be drinking. Yeah. You know, talk a bit about that.
1: It's just your mind. You, uh, you see a power higher than yourself, right? Mm.
0: Because do you believe Because
1: you're born a Catholic. I'm not too sure, mate. Right. I, I do believe there's something going on. And, and as you know, I had experiences in Buddhism and different things. I've tried so many different ways around things that I realized that it's, it's in me. It's got nothing to do with a, a, any group of people. I think everybody's got the potential inside themselves to fix everything. And I think everybody knows the answers. Mm. We've just got to uncover them. Mm. They're there. We know everything common yeah. sense like, I that's like, that. we know everything we yeah, know no. when you you know diets we know what to do just eat less for Christ's sake run a bit more yeah. we know all the answers to everything yeah. and I had too many complications in my head you know that was it So that's funny one of the things about that you just yeah. said
0: there was the, me, the whole me too thing mm. and men mm. and their approach to women and I am going around saying to every man that I mm. know, of course we know you who know you know when are. you're being yes. inappropriate you know when you're touching somebody the wrong way you know when you're trying to get away with something you know the very start of the podcast mm-hmm. what did you say about the
1: man in the mirror <laughs> yes and the funny thing that is applies to everything. the older you get
0: you know there is we even
1: have a little trigger in their mind that goes am i going to be rude here am i going to be gentle i'm being a real prick yeah. i know when i'm nasty yeah. i know what i'm doing and it still doesn't stop me sometimes you still go ahead with it but we know but then there's
0: then there's other like Mm. there's excuses there's the most Catholic man in the village who's also the 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 business mogul who's walking all over families and you know all this kind Mm. of stuff and I I went you know I I pretty much haven't given up the idea there could be Mm. something there so I suppose that Mm. makes me agnostic I suppose but I've I really did have to fill my God-shaped hole with something Purpose. I have mm. the word kindness front and center. Did I, was I as kind as I could be today to everybody? Am I going to be as kind tomorrow? Mm. Was I unkind? How unkind? Do I need to apologize to somebody for my unkindness? It really works. Now, that's do unto others, I suppose, as they would do unto you in a very simplistic yes. way. Yeah. But it changes my life in the sense that I... Without one of the theories I have is why people are so the world is so reluctant to give up religion, which is clearly, clearly unlikely. I mean, it's it's mm. it's revelation. We're talking mm. about re- mm. we're talking about magic. We're talking mm. about mm. myth, right? Mm. But we're we're so afraid to give it up. And I think we can't give it up because what else is there if there's no God? If there's no afterlife, then we're all just here, and nihilism starts creeping in quickly. I
1: know. No, right. Let, Sorry, no, <laughs> rewind a little bit because remember I'm an alky. now the lesson the very uh, biggest lessons of being an alcoholic is you live one day at a time it's much easier to handle religion than is there a god or is there nothing or what will happen to me when you live one day at a time and it's almost like uh, living in the now which is a much more current way of saying it but to be aware of of every minute in one day and think that's okay I made it I'll start again tomorrow go to sleep that means the whole lifespan is one day and, it, and it helped May me. Fly. it's helped me an awful lot mate. Yeah, and it helps does. me a lot at work people come up to me and say we've well, we'll got a pitch next week, we're going to do this, do that I, say, yeah. I deal with what's in front of me today
0: do you apply that to relationships? because one of my, one of my observations in relationships is so much of relationships is about the future is he yeah. the right guy for me? <laughs> are we going to have kids? where are we going to live? the idea that it's, it's uh, this one day at a time thing mm-hmm. I, I live now with my current partner where we yeah. go, we're on. We go on adventures, but <laughs> I like to have another. I like to have another one around the corner. I can see not in the years' time. Next week, yeah. Next week's her birthday, and then we're going to the caravan.
1: You know. I'm I'm the same. Mm. I try. Yeah. I, I try and focus on the day. That bit, but it's a good thing to focus on. That's all. Yeah. Because if I looked at my life and I thought I was I had designed it <laughs> or I had planned it, there's no way it could mm. be could be the way it was. Yeah. Um, and so what gives me the sort of power to think that I could plan the next five years. I mean, I haven't a clue what we're going to... Where but so when I...
0: Do. Let's just move on. Then. So you, were, mm-hmm. you became very successful in advertising. Mm-hmm. You also were a guy who worked for many years with uh, John Singleton, mm-hmm. who was one of the biggest mm-hmm. ad agencies and ad men, larger than mm-hmm. one characters in advertising mm-hmm. in, our, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, you were there for over 20 years, were you? Yeah, uh, 15. 15, as creative director. Mm-hmm. You hit the top of the ad, mm-hmm. ad game. When I met you, you were coming back from a monastery. Yeah. Tell me how that
1: happened. <laughs> That's hilarious, because um, I had a lot of trouble doing, troubles in my life, which I, I don't really need to go into. There were more um, marriage and relationship yeah. things. I was earning a lot of money, and I had a lot of shares in, in, in that particular company, full-on, working exceptionally hard. And I decided to take time and, and sort my life out. I was going through a, a divorce at the time. I remember John Singleton saying to me, well, where are you going, um, Costa Brava or New York or something? He says, no, 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 I'm off going to go and become a monk. <laughs> and he just walked away from it. He didn't yeah. even speak a word, anyway. The funny thing is I, I had such a great time doing this that, and I have to tell you this story. Well, first now. of all,
0: how do you decide? To I didn't. Where do, you, where, do you get the, where, where do you apply? I'll tell you what,
1: I'll tell you. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, lucky there's this thing called the internet and I Googled around a bit and, and everywhere I looked was, um, was not suitable for me. And I came across a guy called Ajahn Suthep, who was um, a revolutionary in Thailand who was now in paying penance in his 70s for all the bad things he'd done. And uh, he was up near the Burmese border, and he had a small following of people. And he, he didn't speak very good English, but I managed to get someone who was uh, on the internet and who'd set him up with um, some correspondence. Canadian man who was also a Qigong master, and he said, "Oh look, this guy's good." He says, um, "And you, you, the meditations are great." I said, "Well, look, I've got trouble with meditation. I said I can't really sit still." And he says, "No, no, no, no. He, he's got this way of doing walking meditations and hand meditations. It's all movement." And I went, "Oh yeah, that sounds a bit better." Mm-hmm. And uh, so he like gave me <laughs> so he gave me this. He gave me these instructions of how to get there. And I got to the Mekong River. Uh, find the canoe and go five hours up the river and there'd be a big buddha it's like now <laughs> and um and you had to travel up this track and you'll find it and that was all i got and uh, i told stephanie my, my wife you know, here uh, she's now my wife and i said look i'm going to do this yeah and so i obviously had a shaved head anyway because yeah. that's the way i was and yeah, uh, i would have trouble there but i put all these um these uh adventure clothes on <laughs> as you do yeah. you know, and a big bag pack, and what I looked like <laughs> I looked apart yeah. you know and I set off up to uh, the national Shangri- yeah, yeah yeah and I get down and I and remember wandering down to these guys who had the boats and I said um, I want to go to blah, blah, blah. And, I, and they didn't understand the word I was saying and I was pointing to my head and I'm going Watatong Buddha 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 Watatong. And they're going oh okay so I paid them some money and then he, one guy and me set up in this, this boat, and it's getting darker. Yeah. The sun's coming down, and we still had an hour to go before he says, oh, I keep going, ah, da-da, pointing. Anyway, he throws me out. <laughs> and I went around, and I could see a Buddha on the way in the distance. I got this track. I was shitting myself. Yeah. Got this track, and I heard all this chanting. There's all these young monks in the, in the jungle yeah. making funny chants and walking around. There's a little old man with enormous glasses, 1960s style, big frames. And he looked at me and he went, Ah, you've come home. He wow. says, Sit. And I sat. And it was just the greatest adventure after that. I sat there. And I learned so much about being present, being aware, meaningful dialogue, real conversations rather than chat. You know, if you only speak when you want to say something worth saying. And all this, and and I went on for a long time, and um, you know, finish eating at five in the morning, half five, making flutes and wandering around and just learning things. And in fact, the the greatest lesson I've got to tell you this: the greatest lesson I ever learned was from a man called Sunni, who played the flute, and he was a a a very rich man who'd given all his money away. And he says, "Bruce, you are going to teach me something, and I will teach you something, because that's why people meet. We have lessons together. So." He teaches me these breathing exercises where you chi and bring it all up and everything. I spent days with him. And I thought, well, I, I don't know what I can teach this man, I'm just a guy in advertising, right? One day I saw him and he was sitting with a small sketch pad and he had little kids' um, watercolours and they were terrible, terrible paintings um, of a Buddha and a monastery. And he says, oh, I like this, I like to paint. And he says, and I'll sell them one day. And I went, oh dear. Huh? This, this, that's not going to work. And all the other monks are even giggling, you yeah. know. Anyway, I showed him a little bit of a perspective, and yeah. They still were terrible, mate. Anyway, um, another week later, uh, we're all down in this village and we're making flutes for children, charitable. And he says, I'm going to sell my paintings now. And he walked off and he laid them all out in the road, little stones on the corner to hold them down. And he was there for hours and hours. And he came back and he'd sold them. But he only got like something like 60 yeah. for the whole collection and That's everything, work. right? And he's so overjoyed. It's worth seven million. To <laughs> <this>. <laughs> and he came, he came back and he says, good, I now have enough money to buy another pad. Wow. That's good. And I went, oh, you bastard. You have taught gotcha. me the biggest lesson of my life. I'm good at art and I'm terrified to paint. I want to be Picasso. He was a working artist and that was, my, that was a life lesson. He just jumped in and did it and all he wanted to do was do it again and he had now had enough funds to do it again mm-hmm. and I was sitting there thinking I've got these paintings and I don't want, even want to show anybody I'm terrified yeah. of criticism I want to be Picasso I want something to be 10 grand every painting at least yeah. what an idiot is, I was it was a great lesson this is where I met you where we had lunch mm-hmm.
0: in, in um that hotel where they do the ad fest and you were you were just you were just back from that because mm. uh, our friend meet mm. your friend annie green I was looking to hire you and you were really radiant and radiating <laughs> when i met you first no you were, you were yeah. really interesting guy we ended up talking all afternoon yeah and you, you were talking you came up i think at the monastery you had this dog thing the black dog oh, white yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. you want to talk about that
1: <laughs> i thought it was very I look at the funny thing about that is um Wherever I go, I wander around with old leather books and and make notes because my memory's not that good. Maybe it was the alcoholism, whatever, but I I scribble everything down. These monks, especially Ajahn, could not speak English very well. And he was trying to explain to me about uh, how these complications in your head work. And I would draw these little animals and some would have a lot of teeth and I'd call one jealousy and I'd call one fear. one trust as he was speaking anyway i had been doing this for a a good few weeks and he asked to see what i was doing because you're always drawing in your book and i said well this is me trying to in my way understand what you're saying here about the things that are going on in my head and he sat there and he smiled and and the um, canadian guy who can speak thai to explain to him what i was doing and what i was doing was when i do these walking meditations he was explaining that a thought will come up. He says, now you don't kill the thought. You identify the thought. Where is that thought coming from? Is it fear? Or is it trust? And I would get the fear thought and throw it away. And the more I got rid of the fear thoughts, some other thoughts would come up, which were real trusting thoughts. Yeah. So I thought, wow. And I said, I must be feeding that part and not the other. So hence these animals were getting bigger and smaller Mm. so the fear dog was getting smaller and the trust dog was getting bigger and so i made all these animals and and drew them all Mm. wrote all my notes i remember at one stage the the abbot came down to see me and he said i want to hear about your your dogs that live in your head and i showed him these books and he said "Well, why don't you come and live with us and stay for a long time we build you hot and you come and do this. Says yeah. you have to buy the timber, but we we can yeah. we can build it for you. My God, that's a dilemma, you know. And this wonderful paradise of yeah. of just uh, doing something for yourself. And anyway, he took me to um, Burma. We went on a long trek. Truck took us, and we went on a long trek. And it was a circle of um, dialogue. And there was this. Um, uh, it was like a Montessori school for for teenagers and things who were in. Like a rehab, so a lot of a lot of Thais, uh, when they want to give back to society, they're going to get married. They go and become a monk to cleanse themselves and be pure, a better man, you know, like a social service thing. And so I thought, oh, this will be great. I to, I'll go along and I'll listen. This will be fantastic, you know. And so we sat in the dialogue uh, circle, and then the monk says, "Now Bruce will talk about his dogs." And I went, Guys, I am just. Thanks for the warning. I said. Uh, I'm just a guy from, I remember saying this, and there was a, there was a man there, this, this um, Canadian guy was here, this Qigong master, and I said, I'm just a guy in advertising, I create desire, you guys are trying to unravel desire, mm. and he says, that's why you're here, mm. you, the man who creates it can unravel it, mm. unravel desire, and, and so I was like shocked, and, and anyway, I gave this pigeon English type um, lecture, yes. and it was translated, and then they all cheered, about these dogs so that's when I met Andy and then Andy told you about the dogs and I've still oh, got you all you tell me notes, yeah. and I've still got all my notes yeah. all my drawings and Andy keeps saying to me when the hell are you going to write this they you know what really um,
0: <laughs> what I really like about was the simplicity of it mm. and I am just seeing so much I don't know whether it's because I'm getting old or whether I'm back in Ireland mm. or whatever but I'm seeing so much mental illness mm. possibly caused by our obsession with technology and you know, where we've gone yeah. even in 10 years mm. it's introversion it's loneliness it's stuff like this and i like mm. the simplicity of it is actually driven depression. all these things are driven by thoughts coming into your head that you allow them to have power over you
1: that's exactly it
0: and so the simplicity of this thing of realizing mm. early i'm feeding this dog that's the wrong dog to be given mm. f- food yeah. to. and it also has a venn diagram with your alcoholism
1: yeah one of the
0: things though That I'm intrigued to talk to you about is this sort of enlightenment and this search for meaning that you have gone through, Mm. particularly probably in the last 20 years more than the first, is still in advertising. (laughs) And I I find it, I want to talk about, like, my journey has been very early on. I went, you know, talk about going to Mm. a monastery to cleanse your sins. Mm. I find advertising to be uh, ethically. Questionable, morally and ethically questionable as a life for a, for a, a life. Now, also, by the way, it's very easy for me to say, after I've spent 21 <laughs> yes. years, cash a right? So I'm not, okay. I, I'm fully appreciative of my sort of, uh, my, my slight... Um...
1: Okay, um, I understand where you come from, and there's a few stock answers I could give yeah, on yeah, that, yeah. Right, which I won't give. But I remember leaving the monastery and, and getting on the boat, and the, the monk was crying, and they gave me his begging bowl that he'd had as a revolutionary. And he says, keep this, yeah. and it will remind you of everything. And I've still got it upstairs. And uh, I says, yeah, but... Used it for it, a super noodles campaign. If only, if only, it's only. It's still upstairs now. I should un- unpack it again and have yeah. a look at it. But anyway, I was tempted to stay it'd been crazy but i was tempted to stay and he said to me you will do more good going back into your profession and being nice to people he says we just do this up here amongst ourselves yeah. we don't help anybody really we've we'll helped you i think i've i've got this, this one profession? day at a time this thing i'm i'm far gentler um, i'm more appreciative I don't get too stressed about it now. Yeah, it's it's advertising. Um,
0: no, it's that amazing.
1: At the moment, I'm in an agency where there's a lot of stress because we're small and we have to compete with the big boys. But uh, we laugh a lot, and there's a lot of nice people who I'm building uh, really good relationships, mm. and, uh, and that and is is its reward. The game and the puzzle of advertising will always be there, and I see it as a puzzle. Mm. It's just a game. I've got to come up with six Do seven to something it's else.
0: meaningless though. Oh, in many respects, like for example, I do some saying, charitable
1: work too, yeah, and that makes you feel you're, you're, good. But again, that's a, that's a I, uh, stock answer. It's a stock answer. Yeah, no. Right.
0: The point of so, mm. so let me just like you, you, you weren't you. Well, mm. you, you had you had know, mm. divorce and stuff like that. But you, 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 you're you're not stuck for a few bob. Would the idea that you would make that book about the dogs just to take one thing? Because mm. I know you have a load of these things, mm. and I, you know we, we could mm. be here for hours talking about all the little ideas. You have, but take, making that a thing like the power of now and or, or whatever you know, this, i'd love
1: to do it i haven't yeah. got the balls to Why do not? it it's, it's it's um it's a strange one it's a strange one it takes courage and um, and yet some of my friends say i've been very courageous with all the different things i've tried in my life yeah but the courage to walk away from something that's remember let's rewind right to the very beginning of the conversation my dad is a coal miner mom was a bus conductors we live from day to day on a Thursday there'd be nothing, got to wait till the Friday. There's a fear and that's my biggest thing and, and my, my wife Stephanie is trying to guide me through this, to let go, uh. but there's always this thing of, uh, I need this extra parachute, <laughs> two parachutes. There's, there, I'm, I'm being honest, there's no, a I, fear I, I and that. that fear's going to come to an end soon because um, I'll be 65 in another month or two and I will. You know? We're sitting
0: here with, uh, mm. the, you might have heard mm. apples being chewed. Um, <laughs> little curly headed Leo, uh, Bruce's kid, <laughs> is playing Minecraft here with his headphones <laughs> on, so he's not hearing all the uh, alcoholic conversations. That we're but talking of fear, mm. I know if I had a little fellow like that in my life, mm. I would be back working in advertising. Yeah. Because I know that's, I can make money for him and his future
1: and whatever. No, no. That, that fear is not there anymore because I'm going to build a strong human being. My other three daughters are in advertising. Yeah. They're well, they're very, very bright children. But we've got him in a Montessori school. We're looking at the green school in Bali. They're living in the jungle and doing mm. things. We're going, to, we're going to live a different lifestyle and a different expression of things, mm. a very creative and artistic lifestyle, which I never had access to as a kid. And uh, he plays the guitar, he surfs. He, and in fact, the irony of this entire podcast is that it started off with me explaining that when I was seven, I was happy and joyful. And the fact that I'm, the, the, the book is called I, but it's really in search of Weberus. To They find that joyfulness again that escaped me after my brother's death and the way the family reacted to it. That I'm now seen as joy. He's now nine and he is happy. He sings, he does all those things. And it's almost like I can release all that and give him a a different way of life rather than the struggles that I've had to endure and and push and drive. And that's not through money. That won't be through money. That will be through a a, a guiding two parents, guiding them to say, do whatever you want to do, son. Whether you want to be a surfer, skateboarder, who cares? It doesn't matter.
0: How do you view the world in general, looking at his place and, and your place as a 65-year-old you know, him as a 9-year-old? Are you probably optimistic about the future of the world? Or?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think the spirit. When I started reading these so-called weird books like The Power of Now and all this yeah. crap, right, or Buddhist books, you had to cover it in brown paper when you went yeah. anywhere, you know, in, in the 80s, 90s. Yeah. Now it's in every airport, it's everywhere. People talk about it. I'm talking to you about it. A lot of my friends are open to the spirituality that I have and the adventures I've had and the stories I tell. That was never... You could, you'd could. have to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. So there, I think there's a world order that, that's changing. Yeah. Um, there's
0: a lot more acceptance.
1: There's, there's healers advertising. There's, there's different things. It's all open. Yeah. You know, it's not just Catholicism, Protestantism, Buddhism yeah. and all There's tons of way forward. Yeah. And yes, there'll be greedy people in the world like there always has been making trillions and billions but I think the world will come, turn it around. I think yeah, the
0: thing you mentioned there is, mm. is, is true as well for me because I think as, and I, I really sense religion is going to start falling away, particularly in first world mm. countries, it already is in mm. many cases. I mean, in Ireland, church attendance is down mm. around the 20% mark. When I was growing up, it was about the 70% mark. That's just on Sunday. Mm. I talked about the kindness thing earlier. People are going to need to fill that hole. You know whether it's the dogs mm. thing or whether it's mm. the power now or whether it's some you know new thing from the east or west mm. or whatever, people are going to be crying out for how to manage and navigate their way through life in a framework that maybe doesn't include an afterlife. Yeah, <laughs> and the I'm sorry for going yeah, back that's on this, right. but the afterlife mm. is almost the thing that gets us to the other side because so literally almost because mm. we know if we're good we'll have yeah. you know we know that there's a reward and this is why I think that you're because mm. you are you are very I've always been when I've been talking to mm. you very interesting guy to talk to because you've unlike most people you spend an awful lot of your time trying to sort it out mm. even if it's just on a day by day basis yeah. but you have ideas and mm. what would you say to your younger uh, we Bruce if you had to Go back and say something
1: to him. I can see him right now in my head, yeah. and uh, I had to say, "Don't worry, we'll we'll, we'll sort it out." And uh, uh, thanks for um, guiding me, you know. And because I know when when I'm I'm being miserable, and I do go into dark holes like most human beings, um, and I keep thinking, I d- "You don't need to," yeah. but I do. Yeah. I, I like it. I like the dark. I like. Um, what do you like about it? It's a, it's a world I know in my head it's not escapism it's a very visual world and a, a very rich I, I, I see pictures in my head and colours and things I love it it's, it's like a trip without drugs when I close my eyes and look yeah. and I can sit for hours yeah. I can wake up during the night I don't sleep very well most times and I can lay there and it's a fantasy world you know. Yeah. and that might have been as a kid been in my room most of the time or in amongst the cab boxes, I don't know. Mm. But there's a it's a wonderful world. And and sometimes, you know, I I'm, I can be highly sociable because yeah. you have to talk a lot when you're at work. Yeah. But I don't tolerate fools. I don't like idle yeah, chat. Really. I really don't, I'm over it. And and when you get older, you become more selective who you want to spend time with. Yeah. And AA taught me that too. So I can even say to someone, look, I like working you, but yeah. I don't really want to have lunch with you. I can say things like that. Yeah. I don't care. We, we get to <laughs> <if we're> gonna, <laughs> yeah. but that's There's no enough. time. There's, well, actually, there's a truth to it. I quite you know like, I mean? I quite like sitting on my own under a tree. You know, I'm sorry.
0: Bruce Macher, thank you for spending your time. Uh, it's very, very interesting. Always, every time I sit down and talk to you. It's been great having a chat right. with you. Look after yourself. Okay. You enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Bye, you